You're in the comfortable confines of the Feed the Ball Salon with me, your host, Derek Duncan, and I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Jim Urbina, America's favorite golf course builder. Today, we welcome as our guest, Greg Lecce. For over 40 years, Lecce has been the man behind the man. He started working with Pete Dye in the early 1980s before joining Jack Nicklaus's design firm. For over 15 years, he oversaw projects for Nicklaus Design around the world, including Cabo del Sol, Moon Palace, the Bears Club, and Pearl Valley in South Africa. In 2005, he went to work for Ernie Els, going from one of many design associates in Nicholas's global enterprise to being Els's principal designer for his international golf projects. That job has taken Lecce to the Bahamas, Mauritius, Vietnam, Malaysia, Dubai, and beyond. There's a very particular set of skills, as Liam Neeson might say, that Lecce has acquired over a long career that's allowed him such success building golf courses for two of golf's biggest names. He'll talk about those skills and many of the most interesting jobs he's had with me and Jim, as well as what it's like to be a kind of ghost architect for the bigger names on the blueprint. Before we have that talk, please subscribe to Feed the Ball and leave a five-star review and a few comments about the show while you're there. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at FeedTheBall, and listen to the deep back catalog of past architectural discussions for free at FeedTheBall.com and on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'd also ask you to consider washing your laundry in cold water. The most rigorous scientific studies have proven that modern detergents work equally well in cold water as in hot, so there's really no reason to commit the energy and resources to heating water to wash clothes. Think of the long-term benefits to the earth if everyone washed in cold, and think of your long-term savings as well. We'll get right into our discussion with our wonderfully friendly and congenial globetrotting buddy Greg Lecce, but first, Jim would like to read me a quote. You know, Derek, with the advent of, of, of the, the rebounding of, of uh, golf architecture from the golden age to uh, post-World War II to the 70s and 80s and, and to this boom that we had in the last 10, 15 years of, of going to the ends of the earth to find the great pieces of property, I found this quote in, from Mackenzie kind of telling. And uh, we could debate this day in and day out for the rest of our lives. But if you don't mind, can I read this quote? Yeah, I'd love to hear it. And, and this is from the good doctor, Alistair McKenzie. And I quote, The test of a good golf architect is the power of converting bad inland material into a good course, and not the power of fashioning excellent seaside material into a mediocre one. End quote. The test of a good golf architect, he says, is converting bad inland material into a good course. And today, as you know, we're, we're going to the ends of the earth to find those special pieces of land. And Mackenzie says that's not the test of a good archi golf architect. That's the test of a good owner finding a good piece of property. So what is the steady? What is the qualities of a good golf course architect? going to the flatlands of Florida and creating something cool or going to the ends of the earth and finding something cool and trying to make it uh, better and, and not worse, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that's a very loaded or weighted question. It's a very, it kind of gets at the, at the core of it. I mean, how, how good can an architect really be if every site they work on is um, Barn Boogle Dunes or um, Cypress Point, Cypress Point, or <laughs> you know, uh, uh, an Irish, you know, La Hinch or something, whatever, Bally Bunny. Uh, I mean, there's an arts for sure to to unlocking the magic in in those types of properties, right? Finding yes. the right combination of holes, making it playable, uh, turning it so the winds are hitting you from all directions. All the all those all those checklist things you want to achieve, but but at the end of it, I, I truly believe that there's the, the journey across the property and what you see and, and how you emotionally experience those sites is just as important, if not more important than the shots you're hitting and, you know, any kind of strategy that might be built into those holes. So there is an art to that. That is architecture. That is, but that is a style of architecture, but yeah, but I mean, taking something that doesn't look like golf and turning it into golf that people want to play that excite, that also excites you. That's yeah. architecture. What, what is architecture, Jim? Isn't it the, the art and the execution, the act of building something, constructing yeah. something? I mean, yeah. there are no, there's no naturalism in, in structural architecture. I mean, you can make a building that has shades of, whatever the environment, you know, and if it's in the desert, you can make a building that sort of evokes um, Native American Pueblos or something like that that kind of looks yeah, like the environment. <laughs> right. Let's yeah. make a mud hut. <laughs> Finest level of architecture. But but, but you, you're building something, no matter what it is you're constructing. You start with, with right. the foundation, a frame. And, um, so, so I have ultimate respect, and I think most people do, for architects who, who don't get great pieces of land and make something compelling on it. I mean, this reminds me of something that, that Dave Axland said once too. He said, he kind of answered his own question, but he, the question was like, what's a greater achievement is if you take um, a piece of land, that's a, a two and then turn it into a golf course, that's a six or yeah. taking a, a piece of land that's an eight and making it into a nine. Yeah. And and his point yeah. was, cause he's worked on so many great sites that there's, there's more skill involved in turning an eight into a nine, making an already great piece of land better because, you know, there's no room to mess up. I mean, if you don't do a great job, you've wasted an incredible opportunity to yeah. enhance something. Whereas it isn't as difficult to take a, a flat piece of land and turning it into a, a decent or pretty good golf course. So I'm not sure where I fall on that. Pete Dye often had very nothing, you know, yeah, swampy or flat or farmland or, or, you know, desert to, 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 to do anything with, which is creative freedom. But, but he had to really build those golf courses and make them compelling. And I think there's a lot more things that have to go right to turn those pieces of land into a good golf course. And one last thing that, 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 cause obviously you picked a great quote cause my head is going in five different directions, but <laughs> I've always said, I've said uh, before on these podcasts that, I kind of I kind of recoil when I hear the term we're in the second golden age of architecture. I don't think of it that way. I think we're in a it's a great period for golf design, one that's historic and has produced some of the the best golf that we've ever seen, but there's nothing new that's being done. It's just it's taking great sites, finding great sites and that goes back to the owner as 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 we were talking about that that quote. It's the golden age of golf development. 
owners are taking have been taking chances for for 20 years and finding these sites that would never have been built before there was no expectation that a golfer would travel to go to go to any of these locations whether it's central nebraska the the remote oregon course tasmania um wherever else you know nova scotia to play golf so they took incredible risk to build great golf because that's where the land was and the golf and the golfers followed them so it's really the 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 owners that the owners of these developments that were doing something new and, and original uh, so it's the golden age. We're in the first golden age, or maybe the second golden age of, of golf development, rather than golf architecture. And I have begun, and I always knew this, Derek, but I've begun to appreciate my former, my my mentor, my first mentor, Pete Dye, more and more, uh, that he is a good golf course architect because he had the swamp lands and he had the lands that uh, somebody would say. Uh, nobody else wanted he 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 had kiowa yes he had kiowa island and he was on the coast but where he really was shining um and casa de campo i i take that back casa de campo but where he started to really shine in architecture was those pieces of land that uh, sawgrass that that nobody else was was diving into and he is my guy he is the guy that was the golf course architect the consummate golf course architect and Recently, yes, Coor and Crenshaw's uh, layout at the Sand Hills, uh, that's that's Dick Young's cap. That is Dick Young's cap all the way. Band of Dunes Resort, that's Mike Kaiser. That's Mike Kaiser all the way. I've realized, speaking for Mike, I've realized that if I find a good piece of property and I find somebody, as Dave Axlin said, you take it from an eight to a nine, <laughs> people will come. But I also respect what Dave says that, did you really challenge me? You didn't really challenge me. You just made sure I didn't mess it up. Mm -hmm. uh, when you really challenged me as an architect, when you gave me a land that was two on the 10 scale and I made it into a six or seven, I totally agree with Dave. And the quote really resounded with me that who is really the best golf course architect and should there be a ranking of them or is it really who had the best piece of land? Another way you could look at it is if you took a, a young aspiring designer, somebody who has only been in the business for a few years, maybe they're a shaper, or maybe they, they come from an office and they have a landscape architecture background, and you gave them a, a coasty dunesy site, and then you gave them a, a, a parcel in the middle of Missouri that, didn't, you know, that doesn't have any character, what are the odds that they would they could make a, a great golf course or you know a very good golf course on both sites um mm -hmm. so there's a there's a there's that that the the notion of an architect to me is is also someone who has a, a multiple of skills they're experts in many different fields that can you know they they understand turf they understand engineering they understand budgets they understand getting a product to the finish line they understand handling crews all these things that that you probably have to do more with on a site like what whistling straits looked like before they started building whistling straits which was just a yes. flat farmland yes. and part yes. military base bluff and that had a good to, view that had a good view and <laughs> and turned it into what whistling straits looks like today which right. you can't do that without it you know a high execution degree uh, degree of difficulty in in physical engineering of a site. I mean that right. you have to know how to build things. 
you know, how to build things. And, and uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, The Falling Waters, uh, the ultimate of ultimate layouts and design. But if you gave him, as we, as we joked about <laughs> 10 minutes ago, if you gave him uh, some clay mud in the middle of the desert, uh, how good is his mud hut going to look as compared to Falling Waters? I mean, he was the guy uh, of that creation and that thinking. Uh, so <laughs> don't go looking for any any mud hut sites for me, please. <laughs> but but <laughs> you would if if, if, a, if a developer uh, came to you and and I said I have you know this 180 parcel, there's not much going on, but I'll let you build any anything that you want as long as it makes sense right. and it's within our budget. Right. I mean, right. you would jump at that, wouldn't you? Oh, for sure. And, and that's what, that's what the, and I don't want to uh, misquote this, but that's what the owners of the Lido said on Long Island, New York, this dead, flat, swampy piece of land. If I let you do anything, you can create the genius of Sidney McDonald and Seth Rayner. And he took on that challenge. Uh, and he had just come from the National Conflicts of America. I'm talking about C.B. McDonald. He took on that challenge. He was able to create that vision. Sure, that is the ultimate challenge, Derek, the ultimate challenge to create and fashion and mold and shape uh, uh, and take that that piece of two land to a six. And maybe it won't win any awards, Derek, but the self-satisfaction of creating and entertaining and allowing people to go across the country uh, like Tom Bendelo did in his time putting 18 stakes in the ground and creating golf for people to play. It didn't always have to be on a dune's edge in Scotland or a dune's edge in, a dune's edge in Ireland. Tom Bendelow went across this country creating some pretty cool features. Yeah, I think golfers right now, golfers right now and players are, are very spoiled because <laughs> yes. like yes. if you, if you were a player, if you, if, if you could take us, you and I back to like 1995 right now and what our, what we would think of a good golf course and what we would turn our nose up to would be completely different than, than how we look at things now, because now we have all of these great sites that have been developed. So, so if, if you're like us and not all golfers are like this, by the way, um, people who don't listen to this podcast, like our, you know, our parents and, and aunts and uncles, who you know, play at their local golf course exclusively don't care about this. But for those of us who, who kind of are into it, yeah, like our perception of what great golf is now looks completely different than it did 20, yes. 25, 30 years ago because we have seen all of these great sandy sites and these coastal sites, and, and we think sand, sand it has to be sand and it has to look uh, natural. But most of the great architects working today have also made built really great golf courses on pretty flat, uninteresting pieces of land. Um, yeah. You and I were talking about, mentioned this, you know, before we started recording, but like Apogee down in, in Florida and that all those courses that are being built in Martin County. I just wrote a big uh, article in golf digest about these, these, all these new developments. Those are all on pretty basic, unremarkable sites that don't, aren't differentiated from each other uh, really in any way. You have Apogee, they're going to build three courses there. Um, whenever uh, Ken Bax gets his uh, thing permitted, it'll work with Dave Axland and Rod Whitman and Keith Cutton to build two courses Tom Fazio and Discovery Land Company are building one. Uh, Bill and Ben, 
just opened uh, MacArthur 2, which is on a flat kind of swampy piece of land. Pete Dye would, you know, eat your heart out. That golf course is, is <laughs> yep. riveting. It's, it's some of their best work in my opinion, yep. maybe yep. because they had to go find interesting concepts to engineer out of that site. Yep. Um, so most of the great, and Gil, Gil Hans uh, is doing Apogee West um, yep. just opening right now, Ladera out in Palm Springs, which was a flat, or orange orchard, dead flat desert properties. You know, I haven't played it yet, but you know, there's a lot of moving out there. So, so we're, we're also seeing, even though we're spoiled, we're also seeing some, I think some, some pretty good examples of how you can work a flat golf site or uninteresting land into, uh, and take that two and not make it a six, but maybe take that, that two and, and make it a seven or an eight. And if, if, if I had Ben Crenshaw and Bill Coor on this podcast today, I'd surprise them with this question, and I don't know that they would. They might be afraid to ask answer it. What is a better accomplishment, MacArthur, the second course at MacArthur, or Sand Hills? Mm-hmm. What would they say? I've heard. I've heard Bill say before that that one of the course, and I think he's he's kind of just sometimes he likes to to, to poke people a little bit, but. <laughs> He said he said Sometimes. that talking store talking stick north is like one of his like, you know, favorite golf courses that they've built because, you know, you could see across that site and there was like six inches of, of grade change across the entire yes. property. Right. And I'm just saying that 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 was the ultimate challenge to Bill. Yeah. Uh, 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 talking stick, MacArthur or Sandhills. I mean, uh, a St. Lucia or Stream Song. What what would have what challenged Bill and Ben more uh, in the creative juices? Uh, and I would, I would love to ask him that because the quote really striking, it, it strikes my chord to say, who really is the best golf course architect and how can you judge him uh, by the land he got or by the work he did? Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you know when McKinsey wrote that? Uh, this was, uh, this was uh, 19... I believe 1929. Okay. So um, he he'd been around and seen some and worked on some pretty good properties by then. Yes. If it was yeah. early McKinsey when he was building those courses in central England, he might have that that wouldn't have surprised me because those were often properties where they they weren't wouldn't be considered amazing golf properties. They would yep. have been had a significant degree of of uh, mitigation to to make them work. But yep. in 29, in the late 20s, yeah, he'd, he'd had some good sites by then. It says it's first published in 1920, Derek. 1920, he's, uh, Alex McKenzie's already discussing what, a, what makes a good golf course architect. Well, may, and, so that goes to my point is, uh, is that he, he was still, I don't think he'd left England by that point. And no. so the courses that he was responsible for building and working on up to that point needed a lot of, <laughs> architecture yeah, he <laughs> so he's promoting cypress. himself yeah. and his, yeah. his capabilities yes he had not been to cypress point yet so it was easy to <laughs> <laughs> he hadn't been to australia yeah he hadn't been to the, the states yeah yeah that's funny that's funny well <laughs> speak so this is an interesting topic i i think you you picked a good one because of our guest greg lecce who probably i'm gonna guess has had a lot of experience doing architecture as we call it as far as like building things going to places that need to be built and having yes. to employ crews and come up with a concept and there's a lot of land planning involved um greg lecce 
uh, started off working with Pete Dye. Uh, he worked with Jack Nicholas in, in that uh, global empire for, I think, 15 years or so. And then this part of his current career, he's been working for Ernie Els and being his Ernie Els lead designer. So right. the, types, the types of courses that, that Nicholas and Ernie Els get, the, the clients that they attract, are, are different than, usually different than um, the clients that, that Bill and Ben get or Gil has been getting or Tom Doak would get uh, or anybody who would be getting a, a really amazing piece of land that people are going to travel just to go play golf on. These projects are often mixed in with other types of commercial uh, elements and, and, and other, other business-driven decisions. So uh, it'll be interesting to talk to Greg about building in that environment versus on the, you know, the, the pie in the sky, Mike Kaiser type of environment. Right. right. And would Greg have enjoyed that, the, the chance to be on the Oregon coast with my, Mr. Kaiser or, and I will tell you that uh, I believe that Greg was very instrumental in a course in, in Mexico in the Cabo that I saw El Dorado, that if, if you've never seen that site, uh, when that site was first uh, built, uh, right on the ocean, you could walk the beach on the ninth and 18th holes as they came together in the center. And I believe Greg was involved with that. And he must have wished that he had a hundred more sites like that. Uh, mm -hmm. That is one of the questions I'll ask him about El Dorado and Cabo. Uh, it is an unbelievable site. I know it's changed because of development, but what must have Greg thought after those years of working with Jack, if he was involved in El Dorado, walking the beaches and playing along the ninth and 18th holes, probably pretty special. And, and somebody like Greg, and, and we can talk about this, but he's had such a long, rich career that's taken him around the world. Around the world. And worked with some of the, the, the most well-known and people in golf and the highest rollers. And it strikes me that, that, that architects kind of fall into certain lanes in the profession and that's the lane that he was in and the the lane that you're in and, and other people who are doing restorative work now is a different lane and it you, you kind of create the or, or find yourselves in, the, in these these lanes and even bubbles and I, I wonder how if, if somebody like Greg looks at somebody like you or looks at um, somebody like Bill and Ben and is, has a little bit of longing for doing what they're doing or getting getting those sites or or having a, a different uh, outlet for his, his creative and, and technical acumen. Uh, and we can ask totally. him about that, but it's interesting how, totally how uh, he, he kind of exists in this unique category of golf course architect based on the type of work that he's done over the course of his career. Correct. And uh, what, why, if there was a chance, did it happen? Was it provided to Greg? Did, did Greg ever have that offer to say, you know, Greg, why don't you design one on your own? And, you know, he, cause of that time he has spent with all of these uh, people, uh, as you said, the dies and, and, uh, and Nicholas and now Ernie else did Greg ever turn down that, that offer to be a Greg Lecce design and, and what kept that from happening or did it already happen? And we just don't know about it. And that's what I think about all the time. Cause he's, he's, definitely worked with the best uh, uh, Di and, and Nicholas uh, of those eras. 
and Ernie Owls. I've not seen an Ernie Owls design. Have you? No, I looked through the list of courses. I don't believe I have. I have. So they're mostly international. To, yes, right. And so, um, I'm not going to go to South Africa uh, to see <laughs> Ernie Owls design. Where are they at? Uh, and if they're close by, uh, within reason, because I'm pretty busy myself, I'd like to see what an Ernie L's design is and how Greg helps that that uh, evolution happen. Well, we'll find out shortly what an Ernie L's golf course is all about. Agreed. <laughs> when we talk to talk to Greg. Agreed. All right. All right Jim, let's, let's bring him on. Let's talk to Greg Lecce. Let's do it. Don't mind my laughing. Uh, Derek is always making punchlines that I can't not stop laughing. So it's all good. Jim's the best company because he laughs at anything, whether it's funny or not. <laughs> it's <usually> not. <laughs> I am good company. I suck as a designer, but I am good company. <laughs> That's why people hire you. They just want they just want the big jolly Jim around. <laughs> You'll take it. No, very good. Greg, where, where's your base? Is uh, South Florida? Yeah, you know, um, in Jupiter. You know, I've been here for some time. You know, I, I travel so much, but it's like I call Jupiter home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of, um, you know, I time abroad, It's it, it's been a good fit. You know, I have a lot of friends that are in the area, you know, other designers, professionals, and, you know, it's been a – you know, a great place for the the family to grow up, and yeah, I've I've enjoyed Florida. Well, Jupiter has certainly exploded the last few years, hasn't it? You know, it's I first or, or came West Palm Beach area, maybe not Jupiter. It's a little more controlled. But... No, 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 no. You're absolutely right. Even Derek, say Jupiter north of Palm Beach, even north now, right? Ever since COVID, you know, as you both know, the resurgence of our golf, and there's so many new projects north of us you know, north of Jupiter and Martin, it's Martin County, closer to Vero Beach. And, you know, just from, how would you say, um, the East Coast, you know, they have moved down. But I haven't seen so many plates like California, Arizona. You know, it's just, you know, I, I think it's not only Florida, it's throughout other places in the States. Jim probably can relate to it, too, that I have a project. Well, two, I have one in outside of Austin. And, you know, so many Californians are moving there. And even, believe it or not, Oklahoma City, you know, you wouldn't think, you know, it's Tornado Alley, right? <laughs> and, right. You know, you know, it's just great value, right? I mean, for, you know, what home prices are in, in California and, and I guess, you know, what they sell their homes for. And, you know, you know, if they sell in California, they can't really stay in California because the prices are so high. And but anyway... You know, I first came to Florida in the early 90s, and the growth during my tenure here is just phenomenal, you know? I mean, it's just been – it's it's not the sleepy little town, right? I mean – Yeah, that part had, of Florida was probably like a lot of little just kind of quiet beach communities, you know, some some homes along the the water that were pretty big and nice, but, you know, it's it's all yeah, connected you know, now. And I, I, think, I think Jim can relate. You know, I think Jim and I, we – I believe we toured the Bears Club together once. And, you know, since then, it's just been, there's there's even traffic, you know, traffic we never had, you know. And, you know, even then, how the roads are double, tripled in size. And, 
you know, it's like, I think someday it's like, where will I go next? You know, I, I enjoyed it when it was, it wasn't so much a sleepy little villa, but it was, you know, it was enough that it had both. Now it's, you know, um, you know, you just don't have that. Right. And Greg, you're going to have to move to Mars in order to get away from it all. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You're right. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I think I'm going to get to go to Oklahoma. I think, I don't know. Which might be so bad, right? Agreed. Did, did working for Nicholas take you to Jupiter Hills and to, to West Palm Beach? Yeah, you know, be honest with you, um, similar to you, I enjoyed, I, I started my career with Pete, right? I After school, I, I moved to um, uh, Palm Springs, and that was my first work. I worked with Pete, and then, as you both know, you felt it. The um, Do you remember the whole, how would you say that? the loan debacle, what was it in, you know, the uh, late eighties where, you know, everything, the downturn. And that's when I joined Jack, that was like in 19 and in 1990. And, you know, at that time there wasn't a bears club. There wasn't, you know, uh, you know, the, the courses in around the area, you know, so, you know, that's when I first came. Right. And I mean, it was, like I said, it's two lane roads, you know, it was just, and, you, you talk to Jack, right? Jack first came here in the late 60s, early 70s. And since what he has seen in his lifetime is just, you know, incredible. Astronomical. What did you work for? What, what did you work at in Palm Springs for Pete, if you don't you mind? Know, I started, Jim. I don't know if you remember. Um, it was uh, it was for Mission Hills. I, I started oh, yeah. second course. Yep. And at that time, Derek, it was... Um, I don't know if you remember uh, Lee Schmidt. I do. Lee Schmidt's a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lee hired me. And, you know, it was going to, yeah. And, you know, be honest with you at the time, you know, I, at the time was more as a, uh, how would you say, golf course superintendent slash Mm -hmm. construction. You know, with with Lee, he he nurtured you, right? And and it was, if you were interested and, you know, Lee, I mean, he's a type guy, you know. But he was, it was, it was a great experience. So I, I worked on um, the second course at Mission Hills, and they were going to move the tournament, yeah. um, the existing course. But as the ladies played it, they just felt it was too difficult, and they just loved the other golf course, right? I mean, yeah. so, you know, I spent time with Pete and Alice, even Dinah Shore. We would walk, right? Wow. Be with you. It was funny. Pete didn't want to really walk with Dinah Shore or – Alice, and that was when Alice was starting the 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 move forward movement, right? With yep. keys forward, and yep. you know, I'd go with her and put down pin flags and make sure. And there's one time that I don't know, I I messed up. I didn't have the tea for her, and she just like grabbed my ear and she goes, "Gregory, <laughs> come on, you're not paying attention to me." And I'm like, and Pete and Lee were there, just right. They're just laughing at me, like, "Go, it's all yours, right?" <laughs> well, you can relate to it, Diver- right? Yeah, diverter, Greg. <laughs> yeah, like they were on, and I guess probably I was kind of maybe a a pest to them at times because I always asked too many questions and walked, and you know they you know wanted to probably do their own thing. But anyway, then Jim, then we did Merino Valley. I don't know if you remember yep. Merino Valley. Yep. There were twenty seven holes there, yep. and then. Another one, it was um, in Banning. I'm trying to think what it was called, Oak. 
I'm trying to think what it was called. Um, I don't remember now. The name's probably changed, but Lee did mostly that work on his own. I think Pete may have come just once. Yep. But, um, yep. Moreno Valley, Derek, was a golf course on the other side of Palm Springs that had a very unique hole. I'll never forget this. It was a tee box on one point, a conical, and the green on another conical, and you right. hit across this valley to <laughs> right. this green. And I thought, Boy, you don't see that everywhere. <laughs> no, and what was interesting at the time, I also had a course under construction. It was called Oak, I think Oak Harbor, and it was outside of Slidell, Louisiana. And both had holes on Interstate 10, two holes on Interstate 10. One was in Louisiana, one was in California. And one time, whatever, they sent their own plans, and the guys were looking at the plans, they're like, well, this doesn't make sense, you know? It was like they got the whole switch, you know? Anyway, um, those were really the four courses. And then, you know, I I traveled with Pete to another a number of other courses he had under yeah. construction, but it was a, a great time. Really Derek, Derek, Greg brings, brings up a great point about Pete. If you ask Pete too many questions, he would just uh, hold the phone. That was his favorite term. Yeah. Yeah. Like, shut up. Um, I'm working here. Don't bother me. Don't ask a lot of questions. And Greg, you just reminded me of that fact. You didn't ask Pete a lot of questions. If he was going to volunteer it, you took it. And especially when it's in the zone and he'd always call me Buckeye, right? You know, he goes, you know, damn it, Buckeye, you know, <laughs> trying to focus over here. Or he holds the phone. He used to say something else too that you could tell when you at the time you're getting underneath his skin. You know, so, you know, you just leave him, you know, and then all of a sudden when he wanted you, you had to, you're there and it's like, okay, well, an hour ago, you told me to get the hell out of here, you know, and then, and I didn't know, I didn't have a clue really, you know, and um, Lee was great. Lee had the time when would explain, you know, and if that was too right, if he, he enjoyed working with you, but Lee too had his own um, moments, right? That busy and. You know, it it was the time and just working with people. And Jim, you can relate. How many types of individuals we've had in our careers, you know, from, I mean, just not, say, in the dirt or design owners. And, you know, where a lot of my time, too, has been international, where you have to work with, you know, unique situations with clients that they don't have very good English. And the fact that, you know, you're trying to get approvals in different countries and just their their way, right? I mean, they mean... The culture. The culture. And how many cultures, and you have to respect it, and yep. working with so many different types of, you know, I always would say, I, I guess, I can't say my work has been 50-50 through my career in the country and out of the country, but, you know, just trying to pull off a project in another country. I, I, I can't tell you how many islands I've worked on. And just, it's tough enough to work on an island, but then in a different country and a different culture. And still to have it, you know, at the end of the day, be viewed by, say, both of you, right? And yes. still pull it off that is still, yes. number one, it does represent a golf course, whether it has 18 yep. holes, and yep. but it's rated. And, you know, there's there's just not a, you don't, you don't get, how would you say, any type of sympathy, right? No. I mean, and it's still, no. you know. No sympathies. Everybody's a critic, Greg, you know that. Yeah, I know. Everybody's a critic. They didn't realize that the guys you were working with didn't speak English. They didn't realize 
that the owner that you had doesn't like you in the first place being there. They right. don't realize that, that. They just want to be a critic and, and see how your greens, teas, no, and buckles. You know, and as you know, with all due respect from, how would you say, Derek, and Golf Digest and rating with Ron and Wenton, and you go, and it's like, you know, your palace, they can be brutal. Like, you know, it's kind of like, and they don't understand just even to try to get a course completed, number one, in, you know, working with maybe, say, 200 and 200, 300, how would you say, Chinese or Vietnamese or in Africa, where some of those, you know, they're not educated, not that they come straight out of the bush, but I mean, you're trying to work with them. And first of all, you get them to where they build a golf course and then they have to maintain it. Well, before they could walk and do anything they wanted. Now they're not allowed to walk there or drive there, you know? So it's like, okay. (laughs) And then the guy maintaining it, you know? So, um, but I think that's, I can't, for me, it's been the challenge, you know? Well, I always think Greg that, you know, that, you you are making a consumer product that is meant to be consumed. So in that respect, the customer is is always right. You know, no matter what business you're I know, in. If, I know. I believe. So, but but I'll add, here's a question of a follow up on that though. Do you find that let, let's take uh, any of the courses that you worked on internationally and built, and re- regardless of the process you went, you went through and how, how difficult it might have been, do you find that there's a different standard of judgment coming from? Um, American or, or Western clientele versus uh, the, the people from, say, Southeast Asia who might be playing that golf course? Is it easier to please the uh, the local golfers more so than international golfers? Yeah, you know, I, I think Derek say in China, right, they, they have all their different standards. And, you know, it's like, first of all, you know, they are the client. And at the end of the day, it's their golf course. And I always remember that. And I always try to, I even... I mean, it goes back to, I have two things. I have a Pete story, but um, yes, I think, you know, they really enjoy it. They they have fun. They knew the challenges that I went through, they went through. And then the day, you know, they, they're they pleased with it. And, you know, they're happy with it. And then say, you know, a Westerner or I don't want to say, I call like sometimes maybe the ugly Americans that sure. when you travel, they come in and they all of a sudden it's like, well, it's not the same that it was in Pinehurst. It's not the same that it was, you know, you know, at um, Pine Valley. It's like, well, it's not right. And I mean, it's like for golf, even from, even if you travel to, you know, the UK, England, Ireland, you know, and they look at it, their courses, they're not as kept like and maintain of our golf courses, not all of our golf courses, I think are trends going in the right direction, but you know, you'd have those that would call me and say, Greg, you know, why didn't you do this? Or, you know, you know, this should not, you should have thought of a different way or different approach of constructing the whole or whatever. And it's just, sometimes it can be frustrating. I think Jim, you've probably felt it at times where, you know, you do your best and you're just trying to pull it off. And then, you know, it's, you try at the end of the day, I think Derek, anymore i guess i've done enough that i, I try not to take it personally but it, it, it does pinch a nerve It'd be hard not to <laughs> maybe we you're talking it, about maybe you're pouring years of your life into something yeah, you know and miles on you and you know i think you know that's um but it's a part of it and that's the challenges we face and i have the same discussions with other you know architects that travel more and 
<clears throat> you know, when you're on the road and, you know, you may call and they'll call me for advice or with a client or, you know, or maybe we don't win a project and, you know, they do. And then call me later and say, Greg, you're so lucky. You didn't get- <laughs> I wish you were here, not me. <laughs> I wish you were here. I was like, hey, it's yours, you know. That's what you get through, you know, lowering your bid too much, you know. Yeah. Nice. Greg, did you find the switch from Pete to Jack uh, uh, alarming uh, and, and, and all, with all due respect, alarming uh, or, or uh, very casual and, and, and uh, easily to make that transition from Pete to Jack? Uh, I guess, um, I guess twofold. They were so different, but for me, so much alike. Okay. You know, in the fact that, you know, Jack started with Pete, you know, he started his career with Pete, Yep. you know, you know, he, he went out, uh, I should, Jack first went out and walked, on um, uh, the golf club in new Albany. Yep. Right. And he started yep. there and, you know, he worked with him there at, at Harbor town and I think a few others, but for me, the, how would you say, and I'll be honest with you, at the end of the day, it, it gave me a, I think an edge or it helped me with Jack. When I first joined Jack, it was, I remember now it was a savings and loan crisis. And I had met Jack briefly with Pete when on one of our visits in Palm Springs, it was, it was with the company I worked for, Derek, which was called Landmark Land Company. Oh yeah. And they were at the time booming and the whole savings and loan crisis hit. And it's a way of doing business, right? They, they were a developer, but they also had banks. So the whole banking industry, and I, I guess I can remember this right, that they just couldn't do business like that anymore. And that's first Lee left, and then I followed Lee to join join Jack. But I met Jack with Pete, and he introduced me to him on one of their visits. They also were constructing two necklace courses at the time when I worked there in Palm Springs. And, um, you know, when I first met Jack, I don't know if he remembered meeting me, but I said, I work for Pete, you know, and he had a respect. And I think at the time, it was Nicholas design was just, they were booming. Right. And they were hiring a lot of guys. And I can't say I was just maybe a number at the time, but it, it helped me. Cause I, I knew the way that Pete was set up a golf course, you know, his, his lines, his strategy, you know, a different look, you know, Pete's bunkering compared to Jack's bunkering. Right. But yep. if you look at their philosophy, even to today, matter of fact, maybe we talk later. I I worked this summer again with with Jackie and the Bears Club, and we spoke about that the lines and how they set it up, you know, for the player. They're both were good players. They both knew angles, and still to this day, Jack's angles and Pete's angles were very similar, you know, and the way they set it up. And I would see that, and a lot of the guys that joined Jack at the time had more landscape, more art, landscape architectural background and their lines. And a lot of, I would catch a lot of things that maybe the other guys wouldn't, just what the ball would do. And I think, Jim, you could relate. Pete one time told me, he goes, Greg, you see this? I said, I see it, Pete. He goes, this is what we do. We have to manage what this ball does, how it rolls, how it feeds, what it does on a green, you know, on the green, off the green, and those shot values. And I, I think until today i you know i think they're in me right i'm not sure where they are but sometimes they come out <laughs> you know i think that's you know a part of it so i think that transition jim was smooth it was smooth 
Yeah. For me, yeah. And I think, and Jack was a Buckeye too, Buckeye. So I don't know if that made any, it helped at all, but maybe. Was there yeah. a, a, a shift in the way you worked just on the construction side, how you built courses between the way Pete <clears throat> operated and, and Nicholas? I would have, I would assume they, that, that was, they operate I, differently. That was, that was, that was big. Um, I think the, the fact that when I first started, you know, uh, Lee Schmidt had a routing, right? And then he worked with the local municipalities, get that approved. But basically that was it. He had numbers for the amount of earth, you know, to balance the site. And this first site I worked on, it was a big dirt job. It was out, you know, it was all sand at the time. Same thing in Palm Springs, uh, you know, to extract, you know, the, the water bodies, you know, the fill the landforms, the pads. And from there, you know, Pete, you know, construct his bunkers in a way that, you know, we worked with, um, I think you probably remember, Jim, his name was Randy Brown. Yeah. I don't know if you remember Randy Brown. There's a lot of shapers that came out. A lot of shapers. A lot of shapers. <clears throat> All very talented. And he would work with Randy, you know, and like probably in your craft too, Jim, of the type of bunkers, the shape of the greens. And in the beginning, you know, I observed, but then I worked with Pete on a certain size of a green. We would lay it out in the field and, you know, as long as, <clears throat> you know, how it would drain and tie in with the water bodies. We did a lot, you know, as you know, the, the ball kidding at the time to get those yep. trades right. And, yep. you know, those were probably a little bit more difficult of, as you know, in ball kidding, you got to be more exact than a, a grass type slope. So then when I work, when I work for, um, Jack, everything was, you know, detailed plans, right? And at least I felt um, with even my education, at least I could draw and that, you know, I had not done a lot of contour drawings. So my first work with Jack, I spent time in the office and how their procedures and the plan developed. And, and, you know, so I think it was, it was, it was nice because I, I understand, I could understand what forms were to draw heights depths of bunkers, size of greens, and those relationships to wits. And I think sometimes a lot of the guys, they didn't understand that. The ones that had joined Jack at the time, you know, you had the old guard that were there. You know, you had, you know, Chris Cochran was there, Tom Pierce. Jim Leip. You know, Jim Leip. And, uh, and they, you know, it was, um, it was, it was a different approach. And I think, you know, I think probably, I guess, I guess how I feel today, I'm kind of a mix of both, I yeah. think, probably, right? I think yeah. that's what I am today, that I think, I, to be honest with you, I'd rather enjoy just going out there and have a beautiful piece of property and just shape it and go. But, you know, so much in my line of work, especially on these remote islands and, you know, in other countries, you have to have a detailed set of plans at least to get it. it it's it's going to work, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. whatever you do, you got to get it to – Sometimes a B is good, you know, but if you can't just go there and just start working with so many different languages and, you know, you don't know what, you know, you may <laughs> end up with. So I think for me, it's um, that balance, right, is is good. Was it also necessary to work that, that way, you know, to develop plans that began in an office just because of the size of the Nicholas operation? I mean, you... He would have, Nicholas, it seems to me, would have had to relinquish a whole lot of 
uh, decision making on his associates to let them just develop things in the field because he could only get there to see this the work so often. So it, it would make a sense from an efficiency standpoint that you could c- produce a set of plans at a table and then have those have that begin to begin constructed as expected and as drawn so that when Nicholas visited, then he could make the tweaks to it that he needed versus having to come up with entire concepts, uh, which would take a long time to do. Yeah, I think, to be honest with you, Derek, I think it was both. One, um, you know, of course, we had the jack factor. You know, other in, on these remote areas that, you know, in some, you would move, you know, one, two million cubic meters of earth, big dirt jobs, right? Yeah. that you had to have them. And a part of it was to get it to a point that on these sites, to get it to where the golf course starts setting up. And then I think that's even when Jack would come in too, right? I mean, you may have the first visits where there was maybe, how would you say, maybe 10, 12 holes were there. And then you had to create the other, you know, say four to six or more. Maybe you'd have a flight, flat, totally flat site, Derek, where – you know, you have to create, get it to balance and at least to create your forms to where, you know, areas that you could place a greens complex and get it to set up. I mean, it's, you know, I, I think of a lot of sites, I, I've i had a, a few that you would say there's 18 holes or you'd have the beautiful, you know, the sand hill sites or, you know, sites that were there and you just had to, how many holes that you could find? Well, I guess I haven't had that that pleasure as much as I would like to have had, right? I would love, I would say, like maybe you would say our friend Gil Hans, you know, I it's like, God, just give me one or two of those. I, I won't, I'll take some of the fallout, you know? <laughs> but it's, it, it's a part that you have to get it, a, a balance of the site. And a lot of our clients too, Derek, with, whether with Jack or, you know, with, with, with Ernie today, it's a lot is the brand and the name. And, you know, you're, they have a whole product that they're, they want to sell to membership for real estate. And a lot of the sites are balanced with residential pods and you have to, sometimes you have to grade those pods too. Right. And then at the end of the day, the challenge is, to have the course where it still belongs, that it was always there. For me, a compliment, probably for you too, Jim, is that, wow, you had a great site. Well, in the beginning, if you can just get that, right, you're, you're you're doing pretty damn good, you know, because it's like to get to that point from, you know, it's it's a long process. By the time, you know, you start, it could be three to five years. By the time you meet a client and who knows, right, permitting or – you know, the financial side or economic environmental studies, environmental studies, upturns, downturns, economies and projects that come back. And then, you know, I've had projects where maybe you'd redo the set of plans because of, of that, Jim, right. The environmental changes and over time where once was approved, it's not approved. And, you know, especially in a lot of Latin American countries at one time you could do, you know, I would say not what you wanted, but, you probably push the envelope more than maybe what we should have. And now you go back and it's, Hey, you know, and I always, I always had the approach of, I always want to leave a mark that I, I try to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, there were times where could you have filled in a few more wetlands? 
yes, but we didn't. We tried to at least lend it that some, if somebody else would follow and make it challenging for them that they did the right thing, right? Right, right. So, and with Ernie Owls, do you have a little more creative freedom? Uh, and I, yeah, and I know, mean that with all due respect. No, I and understand. You know, that was, to be honest with you, when I, I left Jack, right? I mean, it was a time where uh, Nicholas Design was was doing well. And, you know, Jim Life or Chris Cochran, they were there and different projects. And I'd worked on a number of projects with with Ernie, you know, with Jack. Ernie came on board because he really wanted to, you know, learn the business. He enjoyed playing Jack's courses, you know, whether, you know, Muirfield or, you know, uh, the Bears Club, these other courses. And he, he liked the way they, they set it up. He also liked, you know, he really had the utmost respect, you know, for, for Pete, you know. I remember even Pete would even walk with Ernie. So, you know, I guess for me, um, the more freedom, you know, even with Ernie, he's still playing today, you know, on the senior tour, you know. Right. I, I was with him yesterday. We have a, a new project, uh, it's an existing project in Portugal, and it's in the Villa Mora area. I don't know if you know that area. I do not. No, the Algarve, absolutely beautiful. Yes. Southern California, you know, the same type of climate. And there's an existing golf course that they want to repurpose. And, you know, to have the uh, the Portuguese, Portugal, the, the open there, they're open. Got it. And it's just part of some holes that had been some existing property and some some trade-offs, but really to enhance the property and also the golf. So, you know, the calling with Ernie yesterday, you know, I've already been there and we discussed it. And, you know, what's fun is, you know, Ernie, you know, he's such, how would you say, he's he's played in so many uh, pro-ams, right? And he sees how, a lot of times, how the, that player struggles. You know, they get off the tee and where the ball lands and after three or four holes already – six, seven over par and, you know, and it's, it's miserable for him. And I think at the end of the day, even for Ernie, he wants, he's more probably a second shot. How would you say architect that, you know, you, you look at it in a way that um, he, he appreciates that value. He's always been a very good iron player, great short game. And, and he likes those, those values. So, yeah, I, I think it's been, you know, the freedom and then, when Ernie visits, you know, one, one thing fun about Ernie compared to some of the others, he, he just loves to hit shots. He'll hit shots on the dirt, right? He'll go out and he'll take a number of clubs. I've seen him take like a seven iron, even in a bunker. He'll open it all the way up and he'll hit a better, better marker shot than I could hit, yeah. you know, or he'll take a driver right off the deck and he'll take his hands, right? And do like, remember the old, I don't know, you'd see like the old Scottish kind of, where they take it, right? And then he'd place his ball. Like a pile of dirt that they would like mount as a tee. Exactly, like that little teepee, and they stick a ball. And he'll just hit the, a driver right off the deck. It may not be his driver. It could be someone's in the, you know, does someone have a club? And he'll take like practice swing, and he'll just pure it. And I'll say, Ernie, why don't you just do that all the time? I mean, <laughs> I've never seen him hit a bad shot in the dirt. I'm like, and then you go out, you can't keep it on the, on the playing field, right? Well, there'll be a few words after that, but anyway, yeah, I was gonna, you, you say that to him, do you? <laughs> yeah. So I've heard stories of, of headlocks and wrestling matches <laughs> with Ernie. Well, we've had a few moments. Yeah. I can't say, well, there, there's one that like, I don't know what it is. Like if you ever get into a bar fight 
which professional who would you want, right? And they always say, I want Ernie on my team, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it happen, but you know, it's like even in those, it's um uh, he's good fun, you know. Hey yeah. Greg, you've worked with a bunch of people. I, I looked on your website, VJ Singh included. Right. Did you ever say to yourself 10, 15 years ago, I should have struck it out on my own and did Greg Lecce designs exclusively? Well, you know, you know, I do think about it and I'm be honest right now I'm I'm doing more. And Good. that was when, and that was, you know, when I left Jack, that's one of my things with Ernie, that there's an opportunity that, you know, where where there wasn't a brand that, you know, that there was a fit. And I've I've done a series of courses, you know, some in Mexico, you know, Germany. You know, I have right now in the pipeline, I have two or three in the pipeline right now that I'm Good. Working on and it's it's something to it's and that's fun, right? I mean, um, I guess Derek too is when you work with, you know, a player. Whether with you could even say when you work for P or Jack or Ernie VJ, you know, you're still working with someone else and you know their names on it. So you're always like, I can't say sometimes second guessing yourself a little bit of you want to get it right and you may want to push the envelope a little bit more and but in the day it's it's their name that's on it. You got to be respectful and also the client, right? It's what the brief is of the client. So I think at the end of the day, I, I find it very rewarding, Jim, I guess, per your question to do work on your own. That's yes. That's yes. Yeah. And I've always told people um, when they ask me, I said, well, you know, you could always hide behind somebody else when it turns out bad, but when it turns out good, you want to say, I did that. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's when you walk away, right. I, I can't say even with, with uh, the professional I've worked with or my own, you're always like when you finish, it's like, gosh, you know, it's it's hard to walk away and whatever yes. it is, right? I'm it is. even grassing once. It's, sometimes I'm glad just grass it because I, you know, I just want to get it done. You get to a point where you're like, okay, it's good. And if not, like both of us, you'll never finish it, right? I mean, you'll never finish it. No. You know, and I always finish. feel like whether it's, you know, a green complex, bunkering, especially routings. I always feel there's a better routing out there. I'll go through it and go through it again and sit on it, you know, especially routings, you know, it's like, you know, I like a little time to sleep on it, like I said, and and, and go back through it to where it's like, okay, this is the best fit on the land because, you know, it's you hope that it will stand the test of time, right? And, I mean, it, you go back and, and I don't mind either whether it's Ernie or even Jack or, VJ, you know, you go through it and, and, and to there, it's all the different shot values, right? And even the briefs are different from, um, I've done it so many courses for tournament venues, you know, I'll be honest with you, I think on every continent, every tour, you know, and I think that's been, I guess, a little bit more of my niche and maybe it started with Pete and Jack and, you know, we, we work, you know, to try to have a golf course that will, you know, have a course that it will, how would you say, um, test the best players, yep. but then also that course that's fun for, for members. And I think Derek, that's where a challenge is, right? You still want to have it's fun and playable. And then if you have a, even a, a residential component that it fits their needs, but still they want to have an event. Right. And I mean, it's, um, 
And as you both know, today it's even more challenging with the, the length that the players. So where have you landed on that spectrum? What What's the, in your experience now, what's your key to achieving that? I mean, we can all envision how you can make a course playable for the high handicapper, but how do you also, what, what are the keys to making it also challenging to an elite player? Great question. You know, it's, I think you really, it, it's the length, right? If, if you look now, the courses are, well, 7,500, you could say 7,500 to 7,800. Right. I mean, and then, you know, that's, that's over now over a thousand yards longer than let's say a, a club member. You say a club member, I don't know, six, 6,200 to 65, you know, maybe 6,000, right? Or maybe you can say the aging baby boomer now, he's 5,800. Um, it's almost, you have two different strategies, you know, you have strategies for the, the, the longer, you know, the player, you know, you could say, you know, look at Roy Macro. I mean, he's, he's landing the ball at 340. I think the average tour player now, he's what, 296, 300. That's the average. Ernie, when we started, he was, he was long, right? I mean, he was like 298, 300. He'll still hit it, but today he can't compete even with, you know, um, the guys that are even, and that average keeps going up. So I think Derek is between, it's the bunkering, you know, it, it's the type of, um, the surrounds, you know, the, the tightness where you could look at, I guess you could go the other direction. You could say still Harbor town, Harbor town, it's lower 7,000, right. But it's tight. And what it does, it has the player, it defends itself that the, the tightness, it kind of holds the longer hitter back. It kind of like ties, or how would you say, um, places more on, I say uh, on more shot values, you know, more, where you take the longer hitter out of the equation. Um, but then I, I guess also, I guess I'm rambling a little bit of, you know, any greens complexes, you know, greens complexes, you can have different pins, right, Jim, you can have set up with different bunkering to have several different pins that are a little, you know, tighter, you know, still maybe keep the green open for that, you know, the, the, the member or the higher handicapper, but still have, you know, tighter greens edges that you can place pins to try to get that to balance. But it's, you know, it's it's not easy, especially and Jim, probably you, too. You've you've done so much work on some of the, the classics, right? Of you know where they still want to have the the open venues, right? And you know you could you could probably have examples you could share. You know, it's not that there's so many of the classics you still want to play, but they just don't have the length anymore. They don't have the length. You'd have right. to buy somebody's backyard uh, to to get the length and. And the thing about it is, Derek, uh, length is the killer for these golden age designs. Uh, but one thing I did learn from Pete, and this is what I'm going to ask Greg, uh, when in doubt, Pete made the green smaller and smaller right. and smaller and smaller. That was his defense. Uh, does Ernie Els think about, does Greg Lecce think about making the green smaller and smaller, or are you just still trying to make them a big, fun, and, and entertaining? You know, I must be honest, our greens are probably on the smaller size already. You know, we're probably average, say, maybe 5,500. Well, well, you, know, so you know, and that's, that's small. We don't have, I mean, your world, you have, I know, probably much larger greens, but, yeah. you know, okay, Pete would always have, you know, 
a green, I think of a pad, it was always similar. Like, it seemed like we started like 6,000 square feet. You know, he basically had like, I mean, he'd step off 20 paces by 100 paces, right? So I think that's 6,000. So anyway, he'd put the flags down and would start. And if you looked at a lot of his greens, Jim, and you remember, you know, they, if you looked at a, a visual after it was construction, all the greens looked the same, right? They all were those ovals, but on the ground, they were so different, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes when you draw it, you get so caught up in these shapes, but on the ground, as you know, you know, so experienced in the shaping world, whatever you do on the ground, you don't have that same, it may have the shape of the green, but the way the movement is okay. and the way that, you know, it receives the ball and the nuances, it, it's so different. And, you know, to be honest with this summer, when I worked with Jack again at the Bears Club, had a lot of smaller greens, right? Now, a lot yeah. of greens were all smaller, but they didn't have, he, he basically, he softened the Bears Club a lot. As you remember walking, it had a lot of it repelled, right? Repelled yep. into hollows and yep. everything. Well, he really went back through it more for the, the members, right? I mean, it's, I'd love for you to see it. It's, it's different, you know, but I think it's, it's unique. It's, it's, again, it's a different Jack, right? I mean, and what he's gone through to have it, that is a, uh, more of a, I say it's, it's going to be fun. A lot of shots will feed in the green. He really worked on the surrounds, as you know, with, it still has celebration. And as you know, celebration can get a lot of grain, a lot of celebration. And Jack, he feels like it really wants to grow towards the setting sun. Right. So, I think this is the first golf course that I've been involved with that the grass and the grain dictated a lot the of design, the design. Yeah. And I don't know if you've, have you, I'd like to know your thoughts if, if you've been involved with courses like that before, but you know, a lot of the areas that just say at the Bears club, one would be hole three where the, at a hollow to the right of the green went down and, the left was a ball kit in water. So that right-hand shot was so difficult, right? So you think that shot right, and you're coming back and hitting the shot into the green, and, you know, it, your your blade would catch, right? And either you may hit it a little heavy or you thin it, roll over to the water. Well, we filled a lot of those areas in that that ball will reflect and feed into the green, you know, to where – and then maybe we have hollows where – the setting sun wasn't a factor, and then we would create a hollow. But he was on it, and he'd always say, "Let you." He goes, "You forgot about the green. Forgot about the green." I'm like, "Okay, Jack, I forgot about our new factor." You know, so I'm like, "All right, all right, I won't do it again." Sure enough, I did. He goes, "You still don't remember?" I know, Jack, but you know, I'll get it. You know, so I mean, hey, Derek, that Derek, there's no architecture. A book that talks about grain. No, I haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. yet, George Thomas didn't have a chapter on on grain yeah. on, on celebration the, Bermuda. <laughs> no, and and that is a factor that affects golf courses like Streamsong. It affects yeah. all the Florida golf courses. The grain. How are you hitting that shot? No book talks about grain. Greg Lecce's right that you have to consider that, but. Do you emphasize it? You know, that has to be debatable. No, and I think, you know, it's unique in the Bears Club's unique. You know, it's that's pure Jack. And, yeah, you know, I, I had Jack probably the most visits when I worked with him the first time. 
you know, I was privileged to work with him on the initial Bears Club. And then again, you know, he asked me back and, you know, Ernie was gracious enough to, you know, say, sure, Greg, you know, you worked with him the first time. And, you know, it's, we went through and, you know, it's, um, it's different. I think from your side, I remember one time, Jim, after you even walked those courses, you know, I remember I said, Jim, what do you like? You know, and one of yours was, you like the greens up, but you really like the greens that were down. The greens. The ground. Down. Yep. I think that's one of yours, if I remember yep. that right. That's correct. Correct. Coming back, I think you walked, you know, the the Bears Club at that time. It was the Ritz Carlton course. It's now Trump Jupiter. That's right. You like the complexes that were down. Maybe the more the bunkers were up. That's right. You know, and I think it was probably more similar to. I don't know if you ever walked. Um, um, oh, I'm stuck. Uh, Old Marsh. Yes, love Old Marsh. Yep. That is a testimony. It's one of my favorites. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I first drove that with Pete after it had been op- open. We drove down his car right down the middle of fairways, right? And the member's like, who is this guy? <laughs> All the greens were down. Derek, I don't know if you've ever seen the bunkers are up. Where the thing was, there was hardly not much dirt. I mean, it was all through this wetland. And that to be creative, to still get a little bit of, to be a little bit dramatic, where the, the greens were almost on grade and the bunkers were up and around it. So it kind of like the green would work through these complexes and the fall-offs and the green to tea relationships were great. And, yep. and similar, Jim, at Old Marsh was, I forget, I don't know if it's like 13, 14, a completely blind. Remember Pete would yep. have the, yep. the large mound and you'd yep. have maybe a little peekaboo around the corner and the green would work around. We had the same green complex, um, at the uh, the course there in at Mission Hills, right? And Dinah Shore, yep. That was uh, Derek. That was Pete's template hole. That was the first. He, yeah, it's like a little yeah, kind of an Alps concept. Alps hole, yep. Yeah. He had an old marsh. He did it at Mission Hills. He did a little bit at PGA West. Twelve he, was he twelve at, at Sawgrass. Is kind of like Sawgrass, that. Sawgrass, yeah. Uh, uh, and Greg, I didn't realize this. You built the new Dinah Shore. I started thinking about that. Uh, yeah. You called it the Dinah Shore, the second course. But it was called the new Dinah Shore. That's right. And that's what yeah. it's called. And you know, that and that's where they were gonna move it. All right. And then Jim, I'm not sure what they call it now. Maybe the legend or champion or You wouldn't recognize it if you went back, by the way. They are changing it a lot. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well that's yeah, and, and some of it, who knows, maybe some of it's for the good. I don't know. But it, <laughs> you know, at the time I didn't have a clue. You know, it was like <laughs> No. You go back and you think, wow, you know, did I do this? You know, uh, the Derek, the new dinosaur was very creative. Uh, if Greg went back now, some of his long waist bunkers are now long pond bunkers. Mm. Yep, they have made bunkers into ponds. Wow, that yeah, that bordered the homes, Greg. Uh, I, I'll leave it up to you whether you want to go back and see it. You know. It's tough, you know, and another one just on that topic, my initial work with Jack was in Cabo. and El Dorado. Well, to be honest with you, I, the first one was Palmia. Oh, you know, okay. It was Palmia, and that it was still as another, you know, maybe I hate to say, I feel like my dad right now, um, <laughs> of how it was, right? And it was just a two-lane road, and it was Palmia. And then from there, we moved to um, Cabo Sol, right? And, and both of those, at that time, my first, I was a, what they would call a design coordinator, design associate, because I had worked with Pete. And, 
you know, you had the, the necklace of what you had to do to move yep. up. And yep. at the time, you know, I had so much freedom when I was with Lee and, and, um, and, and Pete, and then you go there and you have to be, okay, you got to go through the hierarchy. Right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I worked, I was really pleased. It was great. I worked with Jim light and on those two projects. And then Cabo soul now that even Jack would have told you that some of the finest three holes were 16, 17, 18 at, you know, Cabo Sol. Well, I think 16 is still there, but 17, Derek, was unbelievable. A little par three. Yeah. So it's a little it's condos now, right? It, it, I think it's a restaurant. Or a restaurant, yeah. I mean, it's not a golf hole. 18 hole is gone, and Jim 2 El Dorado had a lot of great holes, but, you know, it's it's gone, right? And it's all, like you say, condos development and a lot of great holes, but that's what they do in Cabo, right? And I do want, Jim, when I know you mentioned visiting – um, the area, um, we have a, a site that's between, uh, Diamante Tiger's course and, and Norman's course, beautiful links type property sand. We'll have, you know, you can't get right on the ocean, but at least we've captured, captured where we can work within the, the Sandy dune areas and it will start probably maybe early next year. But, you know, whether I'm there or I'll hook you up with, um, a friend to to see it but it's i want to see it i'll be there in december i do want to see it thank you no i'll organize that for you okay thank you uh and see that's the thing uh, derek once again about golf course architecture the the intent the ideas they're flowing but then the other entities get involved and you do your best to keep the good energy you do your best to keep visualizing those great holes but sometimes these things are out of your hands, and that's the other thing I wish people could understand is the all the intent is always there, uh, but it's the other things that get involved that sometimes your best ideas uh, they never come to fruition. Yeah, and and Greg, on that, you know, sometimes those outside forces that Jim's talking about are uh, the name on the golf course, and you mentioned it earlier that clients are are in a sense buying a brand when they sign Nicholas to the contract or Ernie else to the contract. So there's a level of expectation. Then your bosses have an idea of what they want. How, how often are you able to take an inspiration that you have individually that maybe you saw it on a, on a course? I know, I know you travel around and, and you see, have seen a, a lot of great golf courses. How mm -hmm. often are you able to sort of smuggle in your own ideas that uh, and inspirations that you've taken from somewhere else, or maybe they're just original ideas? Well, I definitely have more opportunity now with Ernie than I did with Jack. I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> right. But Jack's better. Jack's better now. Even at the Bears Club, we had fun. And he'll Good. say, he'll say, Ledge, what do you think? You know, and I said, well, Jack, I could see when he'd get stuck. And he'd look at me and I said, well, you know, I'd go through the rest of the golf course and the holes and similarities. I said, you know, Jack, we haven't done this. What do you think about, you know, you know, Jack so much is, and Pete so much angled, right? What about just having a, a green they can play into it, right? And even I can't say punch bowl like or change it up into where, you know. And he was, he was, he was very receptive. I think I think the old man is softened, you know. You know, it's like, you know, and I think part of it is, or maybe, I I didn't have the pressure, Derek, than I, I did then working for him. I, I'm I'm there basically, you know, to assist him through the process and. I was more of a sounding board this time than, you know, he didn't say, Greg, he goes, you think I'd make a good design coordinator? 
I said, I don't know, Jack, you changed too much. I said, the client would be never be happy with you, you know, but you know, and with Ernie, Ernie's good. I'll, I'll go through and I'll, I'll draw several different drawing sketches and we'll look at it. And I'll say, you remember, and he's great at remembering holes, right? You know, you could, you know, if it's small or green, you could say, I don't know, postage stamp or oil tune or, you know, one, one was unique. Have you, Probably, Jim, you may both have played Northbury. Can you play Northbury? Yeah. Northbury yes. is my favorite. It's in Scotland, close to Muirfield, Derek. Everybody uh, I, I said, they can say, Greg, one is your favorite. I could say that is one of my favorites because it's just kind of so off the wall. Agreed. And not off the wall. I think, it, Jim, help me. It's maybe the 12th or 13th hole. There is a wall that has strategy, right, that you would yep. play. The closer you play to this wall, Derek, you'd play – and then you, you'd come closer you are, it's like the angle of the green, right? The more you play away from it, you have to hit over this wall. Yep. Well, in Mauritius, it's an island in, in the Indian Ocean off of Madagascar. And it was for development, but we had a number of holes that played down the water um, on both nines. But it had these old, it was a sugar cane plantation, but it moved water on top of the wall, right? That's how they would irrigate. Instead of going in the ground, they would take it and the water would follow. You see it sometimes in, in France or maybe Mexico. But we we did a very similar wall, you know, at Anahita. It's really cool because it's it we had it, we built it like the older older walls. It was all volcanic, it was all rock, and it worked, you know, and he said, let's do it, right? And so there's a lot of uniqueness that um, you know, that he sees, you know, um, and that, um, there's just a balance, I guess, you know, to, to pull it off. Using a, a irrigated wall, Derek, like the wall at North Barrack, that would be pretty ingenious. And to apply that to, uh, Mauritius, uh, uh, I could look, I could, send me a photo when you're done. Don't know if I'll ever get there. <laughs> no, no, definitely. It's, it's really cool. I will. I mean, but it's, you know, they even had an article with the wall. It was in one of the golf course architectures, what they call it. Uh, I mean, the society, what, by design, I think it is. Uh-huh. Several issues back, Jim, that they had, it was walls, right? Walls, you know, uh, related to, they had that, you know, I think I think Brian Curley has, and there's the different guys that have used walls, you know. Cool. cool. That, um, no, that's what's fun, too. I mean, you do get a lot of uniqueness in, on some of these remote areas, Derek, that you would not see here anymore or, you know, not privileged to. So you try to take your experiences, your travels, and, yeah, there's a fit somewhere, right, Jim? I mean, somewhere. you're just trying always to a fit. pulling off something different and yeah. not that everything's already been done before in a former fashion. And you're just trying to, I, I think, to another point with, with Ernie that it, it's different in a way, you know, you still have solid, your solid values, but still not to have, make sure it's different, but you try to, right? I yeah. mean, you want to have it that it's unique, that it's not the same green complex you've done before. And, you know, you're trying not to be the same, right? I mean, yeah. in a way that you want to have it that when someone looks at that, they say, Hey, that, that's really cool that oh that's you know, Ernie's, you know, maybe his design 
you know what 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 is his what is and that's a question is right right what what is an Ernie Ells designed golf course you know right? and I'm like sometimes how do you answer that right and like we spoke about I try to explain but you know it's 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 a how would you say a uh a course that has so many different influences right I mean and that's a question too you probably both have asked you know and you get this all the time like, well who's your favorite designer right I mean who, everybody says that the Till and Hash, Ross, McDonald, they go through all of it, right? And I don't know, <laughs> Jim, how do you answer that, right? I mean, you have, everyone will say, well, Mackenzie, well, you know, there's a lot of great work, you know, in my experiences. I, I, I've i gone to all the open courses, I knew the top 100, but I love the little gems, little nine-hole golf courses that I don't know who designed them, but usually you'll get one hole, two holes that a cool little green complex that you, hey, I think that's, I like to maybe pull that off somewhere, right? Agreed. And for Agreed. me, it's like, I don't, I kind of go down the path that, you know, there's a sign and you walk it. I, I don't really play that much anymore, uh, but I love to walk and that's, I enjoy it. I enjoy most walking them, guys, than I do. Playing them. I do. I do. the time you walk, you can take photos, you know, there's a member there, you grab a beer, whatever, you don't have the pressures of, you know, in a group and yeah. you know, I'm not poo pooing golf guys. I'm in the business, but it's, <laughs> it's what a great walk though. Right. I mean, I tell people like, even you could say Pine Valley or say Cypress, or you could say Sunningdale or Swingwood Forest. You can name them off. They're just great walks. Okay. You know, for me, it's that it was fun. You go and you walk, enjoy nature. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I think there's something to be said that, like the old course, maybe on, I think still Sundays, right? You can walk it and play. That's right. That's you right. Use it as another facility. And I think it's good for golf too and good for the game that other people get to see it and maybe they want to, you know, pick up the game after it. Yeah. And even I, I see behind you, Jim Sabonic. What a great walk that is. It's a great walk. It's a beautiful view. I, I, I don't disagree. But I was going to ask you that question coming out of Ohio State was, Mackenzie's course at, at the Scarlet, uh, a reason you took up the game of architecture, the style of uh, the type of the work that you did, was Mackenzie any influence on you? Any of those great golden age designs? I think, I think so, because, you know, I started, I guess, an influence. I, I grew up in Kettering, Ohio, and I started, I guess, my career at NCR Country Club. Okay. And, you know, that was uh, Dick Wilson. Dick Wilson. Junior golf. And I'm going to say I was, I was a good junior player. And, you know, a lot of his design values, maybe to a little bit, maybe, you know, like he was before Pete, right? So Pete played a lot of his courses and he was unique in himself. He had his greens were probably maybe more up greens, bunker down. Tees were smaller. Well, not really smaller. He did have longer tees, but because he had worked right with um, Jones Senior, right? That's I think right. That's right. he started, and they, they were two. They were always, you know, very much in competition. Yes. And then next to NCR was Moraine. You know, that's a, a cool old golf course. Yeah. But then, you know, I, you know, I, I went to Ohio State, and I tried out for the team. I, I wasn't at, at the time. You know, that's when John Cook played. There was, you know, Joey Sinelar, some very good players. And I worked on the golf course, right? And I spent a lot of time there. But, you know, 
as you know, um, Ohio State was built by, you know, two professors, you know, one from a, a college of agronomy, and, and they basically took peace routing and they built those courses. Right. You know, and as you know, you know, my last courses with Jack, we did, you know, went through and I should say a restoration. Well, it was a compilation. It was, you know, I I traveled and I spent a lot of time, you know, you know, I first went to where Alistair McKenzie, you know, he was what from Allwoody where we started, yep. you know, and then I visited the courses uh, there in Melbourne. You know, you can, you can look at uh, Royal Melbourne, you know, also, you know, um, what Kingston Heath, Gosh, I've gone down to, from Argentina, so I visited a lot of them, and it was more of a tribute. I, I, it's not if you go back. I know you're a purist. It's not a pure Mackenzie, but it. How you just say Mackenzie like? You know, we took the original routing, we worked with it. You know, Jad, Jack did tweak a couple of the holes in the routing, but yep. I think we did the best attempt for the. You know, because they still want to have. Well, they had the Corn Ferry tour there, right? And here's a course too, Derek, that, you know, held up well. I think the winner was only like 10 under. Um, but, you know, it's played by members. Matter of fact, I was there this past weekend and I'm going to work with them on a short game area, you know, and it, it's fun to go back. But what, how great is it? You have, you know, alumni playing, they're walking of all ages, right? They're playing, enjoying it. And, you know, it's, and there's a course that, uh, maybe it's 71, 7,200, but it is still between the bunkering, the rough, the, 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 the trees are in the right position. But some of those trees, when it was first construction designed, Eric, were probably small. They weren't there, but now they're in a location that now the longer player, you know, it's it becomes, you know, a part of the the strategy of a hazard, right, where it wasn't there before. So, you know, some of it, evolves but to your back to your question i'd say yes i i really enjoy a lot of mackenzie's work you know i what's not to hate jim <laughs> you know I'm like you know I where can you go i'm like i love it i i love you know i don't know if you know his name's jeff marco there at cypress point he's like greg you're the only one that i invite to come out but you never come and everybody else calls me all the time and that's one of the most i'll just go there to walk it walk with yeah. him and yeah. experience and i think well north there too i think you're involved pasta tiempo that's right that's right very lucky to be involved with pasta tiempo yep what a what a gem right and those yep. bunkers yep. right are more mckenzie like than definitely osu but yes yes still osu still has they're out there they still have to maintain them with their <laughs> their sand rakes and it's still it's you know it's like a you know uh, a course that's run by the university so that's right. there's that's balances right, right that Yes, would you like to have it more pure? But I don't know if it would have worked with, you know, their brief and how many rounds of golf they have. And yep. All of the above. All, all of, of the it, above. right? And that's, yep. Eric, where it's a challenge for us, or a challenge for me. I mean, I'm not like Mr. Abina. He gets these beautiful sights, and he gets to do his magic, right, and go out there and I'd love to be Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Greg, you're, <laughs> you're too kind. That <laughs> <laughs> is true. Yeah, but Greg, you have a you have a, a very unique position in this business. Uh, it's a job that you've worked alongside two of the, you know, the greatest names in golf. 
Right. Not too many architects have that experience. You, you have work that takes you all over the world. You know, every right. project that you do, I'm imagining, is a brand new site, a new experience. We've talked about this, you know, a new set of circumstances, whether they're uh, the level of challenge that presents is is certainly uh, a factor in, in your <laughs> satisfaction uh, and your workload, but it, it does provide something different and fresh, uh, you know, every time you're, you're signed up for something. So that's a very unique thing. Would you, That said, would it interest you to do what uh, a lot of people in your business do is really just kind of focus on renovations and existing courses, or is the thrill of going to an island or a foreign country or getting on a jet with Ernie Els too good to, to, to pass up to move on to something else? No, it's, it, you know, I had the opportunity, you know, um, to we tried to do our best at, at Wentworth uh, there in, in England, right? I mean, here's a course that. It was one of the first, probably one of the first residential courses um, in, I guess, in golf, right? There was, I think, Wentworth and there was St. George. George right? And they were first two that had a residential component, you know? And that that was the brief that I really, at the end, it, it, it turned out well um, that we started and just looking at the bunkers and it had been tweaked from a number of players and committees and a lot of the bunkers were as you know in the uk and jim can tell you very kind of roundish all roundish revetted type bunkers right and i had you know i had i'd studied and i studied a lot of you know uh it was a cult and enough of his sketches and his work but they weren't really round type bunkers right they were you know basically had a serrated type edge and you know, Jim can, he's much more of a historian than I am, but, you know, basically they, with a horse and they cut it out, they dump their, their soil and the grasses eventually would grow. And then they would, you know, cut out their, their, their sand edge. And I went next door, the superintendent invited me over to Sunningdale. And we went back out into the uh, wooded area and there were four holes that were never finished. Right. But they were still there, Jim, where you could still see the green complex, the bunkering, and the heather, Derek, would fall over, and you would see it. And, you know, I, I went back to the committee. I said, guys, these were not cold bunkers. And, you, you know, uh, you probably had discussions with uh, the English, right? And they love to debate over and over. You know, it's like, but as, all right, guys. So I had the Colt Society. I met with them, and you know, here's an American, right? Tell them, I said, come with me. So we went there and they're like, oh, we can't believe this. You know, you're like, here's this yank telling me, what, you know, it's like that the real look of it. So we implemented that. And, you know, we went through from the initial sketches. I worked with Adam Lawrence and, you know, he found some old black and whites and Derek, it was a lot of fun, right? I mean, you know, our first attempt, we had an owner that he kind of took the reins and the course was so difficult and he would make changes. And then we had a second chance like about five years ago and we went back through it again that with the drawings, we softened it. And I, I think today is, I think it is well-received, you know, so we had two chances on it, but it, what was very frustrating was the first time, not from what was, you know, 
as close to restoration that we felt that was possible because you, you didn't get all the information. I think a lot of the clubs in the in the U.S., you can still in their archives you can find it. Right, that yeah. you know maybe you have the original sketches and more data that can be more compelling. Where sometimes you know whether I know like let's say with Jim or Gil or they they're such more of a historian than I am that maybe you on certain holes you could pull off a greens complex that would fit, but. You know, for me, it was it was a lot of fun. And I still, I guess, with my work and my craft, I still try to incorporate a lot of the older, you know, work. I find that I find that fun. Well, going into the woods and, and, and discovering that stuff was just as important as reading any document and, and trying to pr- portray that out on onto the golf course. That was brilliant. Pretty cool. And, and two, Jim, as you know, once you see it, it, it's in your mind, right? Sometimes yeah. you can have all the sketches, but when you see it, yep. for me, it just it, it, it sinks in, and it's the scale and the size of it and the depths. And some of those depths, too, Derek, of the early guys, you could say at St. George's Hill, I mean, they were very deep bunkers, you know, and you look at it today, and even in a lot of my work, some even you could say here in South Florida that, you try to push the envelope, but you know, South Florida is different too. How many rounds they have and the membership and you get a bunker that's you push and say five and a half, six feet deep, which is not as deep compared to it could be twice that depth there at at, you know, St. George's Hill. You push the envelope and you can't can't pull it off, right? I mean they'll say, What are you thinking, right, Jim? You know yeah. so. Well they still say that at Lob Lolly, they they wanted me to fill in that twenty foo Twenty-two foot deep bunker on the right of uh, of uh, the sixteenth hole at Lob Lolly, and I, I said, "I can't, I can't do that." <laughs> no, well done, you know. Everybody loves it, of course. I, I haven't seen. I have a number of members that you know are really looking forward to it. Ha- have they opened yet? Uh, they'll open. Uh, I'll be there in two weeks. They'll open November 9th and tenth, and uh, I'll be out there for the grand opening. And I am going to go look at uh at, at the bears club and a few other things while i'm out there so uh please come up and take a look at lob lolly yeah, 22 feet shout, deep shout out if you're in town i i may okay. be traveling but um i think i'm i may be honest with you, i think i'm on a mission with, i think i'll be in mexico that week but anyway um please reach out and i can help with bears club too all right thank you you need to go around the old man you gotta tell him right i mean i'm not <laughs> better with him at sabonic than one of my visits you know between <laughs> you and tom you know, now he'll just he'll think him. I want to take you know, him down. You know, or something. Nice, Greg, you're really friendly with them. I said, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, um, but yep. yeah, Derek, did you hear that? That was we, Derek and I were talking about that. And I said, one thing I remember about Greg was that he was always open to listening and, and, and exploring and, and meeting different people in the golf business. And Greg was one of the only guys in the, in the, and the and the Jack design Jack Nicholas design that I felt that I could talk to and 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 spend time with and and I always appreciated that about you Greg that you were very open and willing to talk about about anything golf architecture what you were doing and I always enjoyed that. It's maybe fishing, you know. I'm really I'm, I'm an avid fly fisherman. I think that's probably I'd really talk about fishing like with golf. We, that's <laughs> if you have another podcast, Derek, on fishing, I'm fly fishing <laughs> around the world. 
I'm there. You know, that was one that I could never compete with Jack on the golf course. But when it came to casting a fly, I, I can compete. That's, that's really my passion at the end of the day. Cool. So, cool. Yeah. Well, Greg, this has been fun to talk to you. Good luck with the projects that you have coming up. Give our best to Ernie. Maybe, Jim, maybe we should see if Ernie wants to come in and talk golf course architecture with us sometime. Uh, <laughs> I'd love uh, to get his, you know, firsthand perspective and he can tell us what uh, it's like working with Greg. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's, uh, no, no, Greg told me this, right? You know, yeah, exactly. We'll rat on Greg. Hey, I'm, if Greg hooks us up, I'd love to talk to Ernie. Uh, it's whether he has time for us, Derek. <laughs> yeah, I know he's still. He's sometimes he's pretty selfish with his time, but I know oh, no doubt later, later in the year right now, he's, he's playing pretty good golf. You know, I think he good. really wants to do on the Charles Schwab cup coming up and all and all, but um, no, either of you, especially Jim down, Derek, you're in. Jim, that was <laughs> great you, talking Greg. to Greg. Um, I hope you. to catch up with you on the road sometime soon, Greg. Agreed. Hey guys. Thank Cheers. you, Greg. Okay, Jim, that was Greg Lecce. Miles and miles of experience, and in some of the most interesting places around the world, working with some of the most interesting people. We didn't get into specific clients, but uh, I think everyone could tell from that conversation that they've had some interesting clients and situations to deal with. And uh, it was pretty cool to just hear that side of the industry. You know, you and I spend a lot of time talking about the the glamorous side of architecture and the design side and the history and Alistair McKinsey and George Thomas and, uh, you know, Bill <laughs> Coor and all of these things that, that are, are just fun to talk about and it's fantasy yes. in a little while, but it, it gets yes. down to putting a golf course in the ground that's functional, that works, yes. that the client wants. Uh, that is, in these cases, utilizing the the big name on the on the masthead of the company, and and how do you pull all those things together and make them uh, work in unison, and and make the product be what the client wants it to be? Because at that yes. level, I think it it always is about the client and what the client wants or what the club wants. It always is that, but uh, at that level, I think those a lot of those courses are so purpose driven. They're 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 meant to hit a niche in the market, uh, whether it's a re- resort or an uh, international membership or something com- more commercial about what they're doing. So it's important, I think, to get uh, all those pieces in place. One thing that Greg mentioned that I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on um, is, you know, he he worked with Pete Dye and then he worked with with Nicholas at a time when Nicholas' design was really ramping up in residential golf in particular in the United States. And I know, I know Greg in particular was working uh, internationally and, and domestically. So he wasn't always uh, within these residential communities, but all through the nineties, I found it interesting that uh, you just, if you look at the, the, the quality of work and the courses that Nicholas design was, was making uh, compared to other decades, compared to the seventies and eighties, and then in the two thousands, it's kind of, it's actually kind of a, a lost decade in a way. There, there's not a lot of the best work uh, coming out of Nicholas Design, and I think it's because they were just building courses so fast. I think that the, there were some good courses, and this is not to you know take anything away from from Greg, uh, who was working overseas. I'm talking about mostly American courses, but I, I think that was kind of also before Nicholas Design started to adapt in their style. You know, you're coming out of the '80s, and I think big, muscular, long championship kind of golf courses is still the the rage. Nicholas is really good at, at doing that kind of golf. Now you're adding in, uh, you know, real estate developments. And it's not until you get to, as Chris Cochran told us, the Bears Club, when, when Nicholas Design really started to shift into uh, 
I don't know if the word is softer, but but something that was a little more playable, uh, a little more aesthetically pleasing. There there are sort of to build a golf environment rather than just building a golf hole in an environment. And then in throughout the the two thousands, the 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 whole firm started to do some really gorgeous things that were more aesthetically evocative. They probably were a little bit more playable. They they were a little more forgiving to most golfers. So. I was, you know, just thinking that talking to Greg just made me think about that evolution of Nicholas design. And then he gets into working with Ernie Els, who is a little more sensitive to the high handicap player and wanting and is conscientious about maybe not trying to build the, the biggest, baddest, toughest golf course that you might think a tour player wants to build. And he was a little more sympathetic to the high handicap. I can tell you that watching the, the, uh, the evolution of the Nicholas designs, from the 80s uh, when I was working with Pete in Colorado and out west, I, I would go see the Nicholas Golf Courses. But not until I went to Las Campanas, as I've told you a thousand times, right. yep. and not till I went to Cabo del Sol in Mexico, uh, in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, did I start to see the beauty of Jack Nicholas. And so you can pick out the dates of, of when those happened and say, well, you know, Las Campanas was in the 90s, 80s and 90s, and Cabo del Sol was in the in the 90s and 2000 with with recent uh, uh, alterations to Cabo del Sol. But they were absolutely stunning and beautiful to look at. And I'm 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 almost positive that Greg Lecce was a part of that the beautifying of the the the, the total immersement in uh, enjoying to be at Cabo del Sol, at Las Campanas. And, you know, Chris Cochran was doing a lot of that work. Jim Light was doing a lot of that work. But Greg Lecce, every time I saw and, and, and followed what he was doing, he was involved in some of that really cool, detailed work that Nicholas was doing. And you're right. You, you, can, you can say that the 70s and 80s was kind of a, a forgotten time in, 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 in the strategy and the beauty of, of, of a lot of designers. But when you go to Las Campanas and you do the go to Las uh, Cabo del Sol, you see El Dorado that, that Greg Lecce talked about uh, down in Mexico. You see this beautiful layouts, these fun places to play. And it's not that tough and challenging architecture. So you can say there was two sides to Jack. There was the side that was going to make golf courses difficult because he was a 18-time, 17, 18-time major winner, and that's what people wanted. But there was the other side of Jack that Greg was a part of that brought you those beautiful golf courses, those fun golf courses to play. But, you know, I don't know that they got the same credibility uh, for a Nicholas design uh, that the, the tougher golf courses got, Muirfield and the other places uh, uh, in the desert that – Jack had done. There was two sides to Jack, and I saw that Greg was part of that very creative side of Jack, the beauty side, the kind of the guy behind the marquee, uh, the shadow, so to speak. And that's why I've always enjoyed uh, listening to Greg and seeing around the world what he's done and willing to travel to see that other side of the Nicholas design. I'll go see what Ernie Els and him are doing in Cabo in a, in a few weeks. I'm curious to see if that that if that artistic side comes out in Ernie Els with Greg Lecce, uh, with Greg Lecce's assistance. Yeah, I'm, I 
I would wager that it will. Uh, he talked about the course in Mauritius and the, the creativity about using yes. the water sluice as a, as a straight yes. line hazard. That seemed yes. uh, pretty cool. Yes. It brings that, that, what you just said brings up a question to me is, is it a virtue or a drawback if you could go to a, a Nicholas course or an Ernie Ellis course or a, a Arnold Palmer course and tell which of the associates was responsible for it maybe i mean i think you i don't know i i haven't there are others who've, who've studied it more than i i'm sure you could but can you go to donald ross courses and uh figure out was it you know jb mcgovern or uh you know one of the other people that he used around the country as his uh, basically on-site yeah. coordinators can you yeah. tell who was there maybe you can in some cases um yeah. and i don't know again is that is that a positive or is, is it is, uh is that a tell? <laughs> you know? Well, it's a, it's a tell for me. And, and somebody's going to say, that's BS, Jim, you can't tell. Well, I can tell you the golf courses that Robert Hunter were involved with, with Alistair McKenzie, you can tell, you can tell the styles of the bunkers. You can tell the style of the setup of the greens. You can tell. And so for good or bad, or whatever you want to say, when Roder, Robert Hunter was a part of Alistair McKenzie's designs and layouts, Robert Hunter Jr., they were special, a style of bunkering that you knew you were going to see. And you could simply go across the bay in, uh, in San Francisco and go from, from Claremont and uh, from Green Hills and to um, the Meadow Club and say, somebody was here different from McKenzie each time he was doing these golf courses. And at Pasa Temple, Robert Hunter. At Claremont, Robert Hunter. At the Valley Club in Montecito, Robert Hunter. At Cypress Point, Robert Hunter. What's wrong with that credibility uh, as part of the, the design? The only guy who's going to complain is Alistair McKenzie because he's going to say, hey, wait a minute. I, I'm the most important guy here because, you know, Derek, we all got egos and we have to, we <laughs> have to fulfill our egos. I'm the guy here and you're not. I, I, I'm willing to wager that still happens when you have uh, <laughs> various people working on site and yes. there's a, an innate desire or motivation to put your own stamp, even whatever, your little signature on it in whatever way you can. If you can get away with building like every bunker in a, in a certain style that lets you, then you do that. And if not, it's That's a little, right. little thing That's here right. and there. Uh, so That's I guess right. maybe it's just human nature. Um, it is human nature. Yeah. Those sites that Greg, uh, projects that Greg works on were Typically, I would imagine, you know, big controlled operations. Uh, yes. So I don't know. Maybe they're. I'd be curious to know how uh, Nicholas or Els Design Associates in influences would play out differently on those types of sites when everything's a little more controlled than simply saying, you know, having Robert Hunter do your bunkers, where you know kind of what you're going to get. You hired him. You've, you're working with him because of that. That's that's right. That You that's want right. that. But the, uh, Greg Lecce's job or Chris Cochran's job is is not to do that. It's, it's, to, oh, no question. It's, to, it's to make the trains run on time and to, to get the thing down. And that's what people don't understand. Uh, Jim Lights of the world with, with Nicholas is that they're not only in charge with implementing Jack's design, Greg Lecce, Chris Cocker, and Jim Life, and others that I have missed, Derek. Yes. It's budgets. It's timelines. It's working with contractors. It's, as Greg said, dealing with, with uh, language barriers 
and people who've never built a golf course. And that's what people don't understand, that a design associate is responsible for all of that stuff. Uh, when the grass gets going, when the irrigation starts, when the drainage is finished. And everybody, as Derek said, and uh, as Greg said, and Derek, we looked at you in the critique eye that you have. Hey, give us a little break here, man. Because, you know, we were starting to be over budget and we were starting to get out of our timeline window and we were starting to run into storms that were affecting grassing. And but nobody wants to know that, Derek, you know that nobody wants to hear that. That's your job. Get her done. And when Jack shows up, when Pete Dye shows up, uh, you better have that stuff ready for them to look at because they're going to make decisions and then you got to carry on those decisions. And all of those guys in the, Mac, in the Nicholas group, and with when Greg worked for Pete under Lee Schmidt at uh, in Palm Springs, right. as he talked about, all of those guys are the integral part to the main guy on the marquee. And yes, I could tell when Robert Hunter was at a McKinsey course. I could tell when, uh, uh, for no better term, uh, Press Maxwell and and. Uh, and the Ford brothers were on Perry Maxwell's golf courses because they just had that look. And if they weren't there, there's no guarantees. And so the guy under the guys, uh, uh, the guy standing behind the marquee name, uh, Greg Lecce, it's more than just an artistic eye. It's budgets and timelines and growings and all of that st stuff, Derek. And, and people tend to forget that. That's the hardest part. Greg wouldn't have spent this much time in this profession if he wasn't really good at it, you know, if Agreed. he wasn't one of the best, you know, Agreed. maybe there's something about him that makes him uniquely qualified to, to do these types of projects. You know, we mentioned, you know, what would, what would a, a Greg Lecce original design look like? What are your, your <laughs> inspirations? Yeah. Um, you know, I think one thing we would know is that the, it would probably come in on time on, on budget. When you, Jim, when you, are hiring people to work for you do you hire them because i'm just to boil it down do you hire them because of of their skill because of their shaping talent because of their you know they're easy to work with because you know they're reliable i mean you could say all of the above but what do you are you looking for and i'm assuming that one of the qualities is you would not want someone who is going to try to call attention to themselves or their work. Yes. There's a fine line there, Derek, because you want somebody who's going to help you shape and create the golf courses to have their identity. But the first thing I look for is their personality. What kind of person are they? Can you talk to them? Are they approachable? Uh, the second thing I look for is experience. What have, what have they done? What can they do? I tend to use excavators, so I like guys who run excavators. I think bulldozers are so, so uh, contrarian to the natural way the, 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 that land is, is formed. Bulldozers are the wrong way to go about it. I look for the energy level. Derek, we need a lot of energy to get through these projects. And, and sometimes the energy that people come with, willing to stay till late at night, or sometimes getting there early in the morning, uh, before the other crews get there, energy level, skill. Yes, the skill's going to have to be there, but they'll get better as time goes on. All of those things are important, and you need a bunch of those guys. You need that be able to have a conversation with somebody. You need to have that energy. 
And the experience, now that's probably the lowest on the list. Uh, Tony Russell, the famous, uh, the famous uh, retired dairy farmer of the Northwest, uh, <laughs> all he knew how to do was do farming and dairy and milk cows. But yet he turns out to build all of these great golf courses at Bandon News Resort and other places. He went to Sabonic to help me at Sabonic. So you don't need to have and be a golfer, but you do have to have skills. And Greg Lecce and Greg Lecce's of the world understands the skills you need to have. And as I said, as I said in my quote that I thought was applicable to the to the to the podcast that we had, McKenzie said, the test of a good golf architect is the power of converting bad linden material into a good golf course. Derek, you know we're not all going to get on the ocean bluffs like uh, Cypress Point. We're not going to get that. So what do you need to create the best golf course you can in the the most, not say unforgiving locations, the deserts, the, the farm fields, uh, the rock outcroppings? What do we need to do to get through and give it the best golf course we can give it? You need all of those things. And you need the great lechies of the world to help you uh, come to fruition the ideas that you think about. And you just need them, Derek. You need them. And I don't, if you ask a marquee guy, do I need anybody? The marquee guy is going to say, I don't need anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but if you ask me and the people underneath the marquee names, uh, you need everybody. And that's what, what I keep leaning and learning uh, to uh, learning and leaning to, to guys like Greg Lecce. You need those guys to make these ideas, these dreams come true. Uh, so valuable, the Greg Lecce's of the world. Jack Nicholas actually did need one of those guys. He, he wanted Greg Lecce to come back to the Bears Club. And That's true. a place where who, Greg, you know, helped build the, the first time That's and true. when they wanted to do these this most recent round of yes. renovations and make some what are he described as some some fairly significant changes to the golf course, yes. at least, to yes. the, you know, around the greens. Uh, he brought Greg back to, <laughs> to consult, which uh, tells you what Gre what Jack thought about Greg's work. All, exactly. Even all these years later. And all those years later. And what did he say? Greg felt like he was the sounding board now. And that they were, I'm not saying they were unequal, but Jack understood what Greg had to offer. And Greg knew his place, how to help Jack. And to go back to the Bears Club, uh, always tinkering like Pete did at Crooked Stick, always tinkering with the golf courses he worked on. What better way to understand your value is to ask to be come back and work on it again and, and be the sounding board and, and the idea guy. For Jack Nicholas, that's pretty cool. That's pretty, that's cool. pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Well, it's um, we talked about it, but you know that Ernie Els doesn't have a lot of courses in the U.S. And there are a few. Um, I'm not familiar with them, but I certainly want to get out and try to see the the few, and and hopefully there are more uh, on the way, and then we get to see Greg's work. But his work is still right. out there. Um, that's in the Nicholas courses that he's worked on and, and he's got some, some projects of his own coming up. So That's correct. hopefully we'll be That's correct. Uh, seeing and hearing more from Greg as we move down the road. Or we could just go find a stream somewhere in this country and Greg may be out there, you know, fly fishing or in the ocean, deep sea fishing, because he said he could hold the best with Jack Nicholas when it came to fishing, maybe not the golf swing, 
but he could hold the best in the fishing uh, side of things. How ironic that a guy that's traveled around the world only sees himself an equal to Jack in the fishing derbies of the world. <laughs> My understanding is that Jack's no slouch of a fisherman himself. Uh, he's got, <laughs> he can, he can, uh, he's, he's fly fished in, in some all over the world. So if you can That's hang right. with Nicholas uh, in, in fishing, then, then you've got some game. You're the man. You're the man. But if you, and by the way, if you do see Greg in, in a river somewhere, leave him alone. He's just trying to get away from it. Don't bother. He doesn't want to talk about budgets or timelines no. or anything. Here, here, come, here comes Jim and Derek wanting to talk about uh, George I'm Thomas. Run. <laughs> I'm running hey, down the river. We forgot. We forgot this. All right. Well, that was good. Uh, thanks to Thank Greg you. for joining us, Jim. It was good to see Agreed. you. Let's do it again Agreed. soon. Thank you. All I right. agree. See you.